It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. Welcome to Discover Your Spiritual Identity. Last week, we focused on a name given to God's people in the first apostolic council in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 15, verse 14, we are referred to as a people for his name. Now, last week, we found out how that all God does in our lives is not only done for our sake, but for his name's sake. But we're going to go even deeper into this insight this week. See, once the glorious name of the Lord is revealed to us, that insight becomes a source of authority and victory in our lives. And then proclaiming the name of the Lord in all the earth becomes a holy mandate that we must fulfill because the world is full of gods and goddesses, false deities with false names. And once the name of the Lord is revealed to us, not only our mandate from heaven, but our great privilege and our great honor is to proclaim the correct revelation of the name of God. I've had many visions through the years, through the past 50 years of serving God, but I will never forget the only night vision that I've had of the Lord Jesus coming to me in which he was weeping. It was a very simple dream, but something that stuck with me for about five decades now. It was right at the beginning of my walk with God, and he came to me just mourning and sobbing, and he said, you know that I am the everlasting father. But he said, there are many others who don't. And then the night vision was over. And, and such a heavy burden was on my heart after having seen the Lord himself so burdened, so grieved that so many in the human race don't know the correct name of God. They don't know how to call upon his name and connect with him, where heaven comes down to earth in their lives. So there's five main points to fulfilling this calling to be a people for his name. Number one, that we exist for the glory of his name. Number two, for the revelation of his name. Number three, for the impartation of the authority and victory that is in his name. And number four, for the vindication of his name. When his name is effective in our lives, it vindicates the claim that that is the correct name for the Lord. And also, finally, as I've just mentioned, we exist for the proclamation of his name in all the earth. I want to focus for just a moment on the third commandment. Of course, the first two have to do with the nature of God and the identity of God. He said, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And then number two, you shall not take any graven, make any graven images. And number three, uh, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, most people think that means not using the name of the Lord in a shallow way, in a carnal way, using it as a curse word or some kind of hateful statement tied to it. But it means much more than that because 
I believe it is a reference to taking his name upon our lives and properly representing him. Just like when I was married to Elizabeth Aldridge, she left that last name Aldridge behind and took the new name Shreve and loved to do so and was thankful and and happy to do so, just as I was thankful and happy to have her as my wife. But she did not take my name in vain because she's been an excellent wife, a virtuous wife, a consecrated, dedicated wife. She shares my vision for the kingdom of God. And so she did not take my name in vain. And she's smiling right now on the other side of the camera. And in like manner, if we're going to take the name of the Lord in our lives, we must be faithful as a part of his bride, passionately in love with him and committed to his work, committed to his purposes in this world. Otherwise, if we're just flirting with the Lord on Sundays and going about our own business and our own lives the rest of the time, we're taking his name in vain. We're not really fulfilling the mandate to be the bride of Christ in the earth. So do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Also, I think it's important to see that the name of the Lord is a weapon. It is a weapon in your hands. Psalm 44 verse 5 says, through you we will push down our enemies. Through your name we will trample those who rise up against us. And of course, in a new covenant sense especially, that's a reference to all the enemies of the human race that we conquer through the power of the name of Jesus. We conquer sin. We conquer the lower nature. We conquer satanic adversaries. We even are able to conquer death and the grave and hell beyond by the power of the name of Jesus. There is so much power in that name, so much authority that in John chapter 14, verse 14, Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. What a blank check he's written out. That's as if you had a check with the name Jesus Christ of Nazareth on it, and you fill in the blanks. Paid to the order of Mike Shreve, paid to the order of Elizabeth Shreve, or whatever your name is, and then uh, stick in the line normally you put for the amount of money, what you need from God, because the signature is already there. When Peter in Acts chapter 3 saw the man at the gate beautiful that had been lame his life, his entire life, he said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he went leaping and jumping and praising God. There is still authority and power in the name of Jesus to change impossible situations. That man was begging for just some alms. He was asking for so little compared to what he received. And I'm concerned that maybe we're asking for so little compared to what we could receive if we really understood the power that is in the name of the Lord. And I love the fact that Peter called him Jesus Christ of Nazareth, because Nazareth was a despised region. Uh, it was like uh, the area where the down and out people lived. And that's why 
one of the disciples said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth before he met Jesus? And so I think that's his way of relating to the underdog, the ostracized, the overlooked, the put down, the people that are not uh, famous or, or or rich or or important in their own eyes, just pushed down, broken people. Hey, he's Jesus of Nazareth. He's the one that can relate to us. He came out of a region that was a despised region. So when you feel despised, he can connect with you sympathetically and you can connect with him. But let's go into this revelation of the name of the Lord. If we are a people for his name, we need to understand the revelation of his name. And that's what this particular episode is really going to focus on. See, in Exodus chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, God was speaking to Moses. Listen carefully to what he said. Now, first I'm going to read the New King James Version, and then I'm going to read the complete Jewish Bible version, because you're not really going to get what you need to hear from the New King James Version, although that's one of my favorite versions of Scripture. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. However, the word that is translated Lord there is a personal name for God. See, over 2,000 times in the Old Testament, the what is called tetragrammaton, is a four-letter Hebrew name for God, yud Hey vav Hey, but it's translated Lord. And Lord is just a title that means master or someone in a position of superior authority. It's not the personal name of God. And yet in our English Bibles, many of them just render the name of the Lord into the word Lord. And so it's a disconnect. We don't really know his personal name. Now, in the complete Jewish Bible, listen to how that passage is translated. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 3, God says to Moses, I appeared to Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov as El Shaddai. Of course, those names are pronounced differently, and I may not have gotten it exactly right, but Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he said, I appeared to them as El Shaddai, which is translated into English, Almighty God. Although I did not make myself known to them by my name, and then those four Hebrew letters are given, yud Hey vav Hey, And there's a lot of controversy over how to correctly pronounce, pronounce that name. Whenever Jewish people read that passage of Scripture, they insert the name Adonai, which means Lord, because they feel like his personal name is too holy to say on a normal day-to-day basis. In fact, uh, I'll get to the explanation of why the correct pronunciation of the name of the Lord was lost in just a few moments. But uh, I asked a Jewish man one time, he was not a Messianic Jew, he was uh committed to Judaism, and I asked him what the correct pronunciation of the Tetragrammaton is. And he said, well, it could be Yahweh, it could be Yahovah, 
He said, we don't really know. I said, well, how can we find out? And he leaned across his desk and he said with a twinkle in his eye, that is a problem the Messiah will solve when he comes. And I thought, how right you are. You may not know Yeshua is the Messiah yet, but he will solve the problem of a misunderstanding on the pronunciation of the name of the Lord. See, about 500 years before Jesus came into the world, it was decided by Jewish authorities that the name of the Lord was just too holy, too sacred for the common people to use on a day-to-day basis. And so they made a decision that that name could only be proclaimed in the holiest of all places, which was the temple in Jerusalem, by the holiest of all persons, which was the high priest, on the holiest of all days, which was Yom Kippur. And so on Yom Kippur, the 10th day of the seventh month, which is called the Day of Atonement, the name yud heh vav the Tetragrammaton, would be pronounced and proclaimed over Israel, and his name would be put on the people of God. And of course, they would remember it for a year's time. But the problem was in 70 AD, they were scattered into all the world when Titus, the Roman general, sacked Jerusalem and destroyed the temple then there was no longer a priesthood. There was no longer a high priest to proclaim the name. There was no longer a temple for the place that was holy for the name to be proclaimed. And they weren't allowed in many of the nations where they were enslaved or scattered to honor the Day of Atonement. And so somehow through the centuries, the pronunciation was lost. They lost something so sacred and valuable. What a treasure to know the name of the Lord. And yet, it's a matter of controversy now. And I have come to the conclusion through much study and through conferring with people who are very uh, knowledgeable in this particular area that probably the correct pronunciation of the Old Testament revelation of the name of God is Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. See, there were no vowels in the Hebrew, and so you have the consonants in English. If you transliterate the Hebrew alphabet into the English alphabet, it's Y-H-W-H, and that's most likely pronounced Yahweh or Yahowah or Yahovah. It certainly can't be Jehovah because there was no J in the Hebrew, but uh That may be still a matter of question, but there's one thing we don't question because the present revelation of the name of the Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ, or in Hebrew, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. And there's no question about that. And that name is a name above every name. Not only every name of every person in this world, but every revealed name of God up to the incarnation. Because the Yahweh of the Old Testament is the Yeshua of the New Testament. Let me take you back to the beginning and show you one of the reasons I passionately feel that way. If you go to Genesis 1.1, you'll find out that the fourth word in the Bible is a word in reference to the Creator. In the beginning, God. And the word translated God is Elohim. Elohim, strangely, interestingly, is a plural word. 
yet it's translated into a singular word. In the beginning, God, and yet Elohim is plural. And I believe that was God's way from the very start of revealing his triunity, his plurality, that there are three manifestations of just one God. But then you move into the second chapter of Genesis, when God comes down and scoops a handful of dust up and starts forming the man, listen to Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And then verse 8 prior to it says, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And the verse prior to that, verse 7 says, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. And so when God got involved planting a garden and creating a man, it wasn't just God in a very universal sense, in his infinitude, in his omnipresence, omnipotence, and omniscience. It was God made personal. It was God who came down in a form into the earth and planted a garden eastward in Eden and formed a man out of the dust. That was not just Elohim, that was Yahweh Elohim in the original Hebrew. Because when he shaped Adam and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, Adam awakened to see God face to face. And from that point forward, God was adding certain revelations to that Yahweh name, that personal name that he was given in the very book of beginnings in Genesis. No wonder in Deuteronomy 32 verses 1, 2, and 3, listen to what Moses said. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain and my speech distill as the dew, as the rain drops on the tender herb, and as showers on the grass, for I proclaim the name of the Lord. See, Moses received the revelation of his name, so it was his responsibility and privilege to proclaim the name of the Lord. And he said when he did, it would be like the dew settling on the ground. And if you've ever been to the Mideast, you know that nothing could survive without the heavy dew that comes down at night because that's a very arid and in many places desert-like area. And without the dew, no living thing could survive. And you can't really survive in this world mentally, emotionally, spiritually, unless you know the name of the Lord and know how to call upon that name. So no wonder Moses said, I will proclaim the name of the Lord because he had received it at the burning bush experience. God said, my name is Yahweh. I revealed myself to Abraham as El Shaddai, but to you, I'm revealing myself as Yahweh. Now, as I mentioned, as you progress in scripture, that name evolves in different areas to reveal what Yahweh will do for us, what the Almighty God intends to do in our behalf. And he does that by attaching his name to certain words that reveal certain aspects of his character or certain aspects of his purpose and work in this world. And I'm only going to give a few. I can't uh, bring forth all of them. But one that I definitely want to bring forth is found in Genesis chapter 22, verse 14. 
that's where Abraham actually names the place where he offered up Isaac and then the substitute was provided where he turned around and looked. He heard something caught in the thicket behind him and he saw the ram that was caught in the thorns in the bush and he pulled it out and substituted that ram for Isaac on a sacrificial altar and he named that place what has been called Jehovah Jireh, but again, the correct pronunciation in the Hebrew is Yahovah or Yahweh Ira, Yahweh Ira, that means the Lord will provide. Now, a lot of people use that name for the Lord in expectation of God, providing a car payment or providing the rent on their home or providing a wife or a husband or providing something that they want or something that they need. And yet originally that name Yahweh Ira was given to God because he provided a substitute in death. And so the greatest provision God has ever made is the son of God on the cross who took our place in death, just like that ram took Isaac's place in death. Jesus tasted death for every man, the Bible says, and he became sin for us. So when I call on his name, and I often do when I pray, I use the Lord's prayer as a pattern of an approach to him. He said, when you pray, pray our Father, which art in heaven, which incidentally is another name or entitlement for God that shows our relationship. We are sons and daughters. There's 99 names for God in Islam, and not one of them is Father, because they have no concept of being born again or experiencing the entrance of the Spirit of God into the heart so that we become his children. Thank God we've learned that God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. What a beautiful name for God. And when God gave his only begotten Son on the cross— the judgment you should have suffered and I should have suffered fell on him instead. So when I call on Yahweh Ira, or what many would call Jehovah Jireh, I, I am celebrating the fact that he took my place. The death I should have died, he died instead. Now the first revelation name that God gave after the children of Israel departed from Egypt is found in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. And that's where God gave his covenant of healing. Uh, they had come to the waters that were bitter. They couldn't drink of the waters. They thought they would die in the wilderness, and God healed the waters. And he made a covenant with them there. And he said that he would not bring upon them the diseases of Egypt, for he said, I am Yahweh Rapha. I am the God who heals you. I can't tell you how many thousands of times I have called on Yahweh Rapha how many thousands of times I've asked him to fulfill that covenant promise in my life, that he's the Lord, my healer. And his concept is not just removing sickness once it comes on us, but putting a protective hedge around us to prevent sickness from even getting to us. And so that's a covenant commitment he makes. Also, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 2, he is referred to as Yahweh Saba, T-S-A-B-A, or Sabaot in the New Testament, especially that's found. Yahweh Sabaot means the Lord of hosts. 
And I love that the word host means a multitude of anything, but in that particular case, it's a reference most likely to the host of angels that exist in the heavenly world. And he's the Lord of hosts. He's the God of an army of angels that are poised and ready for battle. And he gives his angels charge over you. They are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to the heirs of salvation and for the heirs of salvation. So call on that name. See, whenever you come to him and use a particular revelation name of God, in a sense, you are tapping into that aspect of who he is and what he intends to be in your life. So tell him, I worship you, Yahweh Sabaoth, Lord of hosts. I worship you, and I believe that you're going to commission angels into my life. The angel of the Lord encamps round about those who fear him to deliver them. Praise God for that. Now I want to take you to Psalm 91. One of my favorite insights in that psalm starts in the first verse, where it says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, go to the original Hebrew. The Most High is El Elyon in Hebrew. And the Almighty is El Shaddai in Hebrew. And so when you make him El Elyon, when you make him higher than anything else in your life, higher than your goals, higher than your relationships, higher than your possessions, higher than your, your sense of, of self, higher than your, uh, all, all your wants and needs and desires that you may want him to fulfill, but just intimacy with him is much more important than that. When you make him El Elyon, then he becomes El Shaddai. He who dwells in the secret place of El Elyon shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And when God casts his shadow over you, then great things can come to pass. No wonder in Isaiah chapter 9 is said that a virgin would conceive and bring forth a son. And then in chapter 9, verse 6, it says his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. He is Sar Shalom in the Hebrew. He's the Prince of Shalom. And the word shalom means more than just calmness of mind. Shalom also means fullness, wholeness, healing, prosperity, nothing missing, nothing broken. It's a wonderful, prophetical, and powerful word. That's why Jews often use that word to greet one another and to exit from one another's presence because it's like a prophetic proclamation over each other. When you say shalom, Gentiles just say hi and bye. That's powerless. But shalom, that's calling on the prince of shalom, the prince of peace, to establish us in all of these blessings. How powerful is that? And he's also called El Gabor in that passage. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. And mighty God is from the Hebrew El Gabor. And El Gabor, well, that means there's nothing mightier than him. He is almighty. He's the mighty God. And I like the fact that first his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor because he gives you wonderful counsel on how you should live and what you should do and where you should go and who you should connect with. 
He counsels you. If you're listening, if you have a hearing ear, then he will lead you and guide you into all truth. But then after he's your wonderful counselor, he becomes the mighty God who gives you the power to do what he counsels you to do. The everlasting father and the prince of peace. And then as I said, there's a name above every name. And that's the triune name of the triune God. Lord Jesus Christ. Lord connects with the Father. Jesus connects with the Son. Christ, meaning the anointed one, connects with the anointing, which is the Holy Spirit. So the Lord Jesus Christ is, in a very real sense, the triune name of the one God who has manifested himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to end with first Psalm 29, verses 1 and 2, as an urging for you uh, to take this information I've given you and to take it out to those that you can bless and impact in your life. Because Psalm 29, 1 and 2 says, Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Listen, if God does anything in your life, make sure you give him glory. Make sure you give him all the credit and all the honor. Give him the glory that is due to his name. Praise God. He's healed my son. He's healed my daughter. He's healed my wife. He's healed me numerous times, but it was all the power of his name. And then worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And finally, I want to share with you the priestly prophetic proclamation that God gave the priests to declare over Israel. It's Numbers chapter 6, verses 24, 25, and 26. Now, God himself told them to pray this prayer, so God certainly intends to answer this prayer if he told them to pray it. And when they prayed it, no, notice that they did not plead with God to do this, but they proclaimed that he was doing it. Some people think that you're somehow ignoring the sovereignty of God if you make confessions and declarations in his name, but he imparts certain authority to us that he wants us to use as we represent him in this world. It's not wrong to make a declaration if it's in the will of God for that declaration to be fulfilled. And listen to what the priest would say. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And again, the word translated peace is shalom. And then God said in verse 26, listen, so they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. So how do you get that from this verse? Well, we're not getting the original Hebrew because the word translated Lord those three times is Yahweh or the Tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H. So when they would say it, they didn't say the Lord bless you. They said Yahweh bless you and keep you. Yahweh make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Yahweh lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom. And the power of the name of God came upon hundreds of thousands of people. And I believe healings took place. Deliverances took place. The grace of God was poured out on them abundantly when they heard the sacred name of God. And as that name evolved, it came to the new covenant era 
where now we call on the name Yeshua, the name of Jesus. And he said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. I challenge you to take him up on that offer and start calling on the name of the Lord because we are a people for his name. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shreve, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given His people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.